Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. The Bible says we are set free from the law of sin and death. There's a law of sin and death. There's a law. Someone made a law of sin and a law of death, meaning they're on the books, they're enforced, and they're in force, and we must obey them, and we are under them. Okay, and if there is a law of this, and we are set free from it, then it must mean we don't have to abide by this law. It means we aren't under this law anymore. In a sense, we are above the law. It no longer applies to us. We don't have to obey it. We don't have to worry about it. This is great news. In fact, this is indeed freedom. And freedom feels so good, doesn't it? Freedom feels good. Well, often the world thinks of freedom as more of a physical or a political thing. You get freed from jail or a soldier gets free from being held as a prisoner, or a person is freed from an addiction, or people or nations are freed from captivity, and these are all great things. But our spiritual freedom goes way beyond this, mainly because it leads to life everlasting and true peace in the here and now. And this morning, we are going to feel so good because we are going to fixate on God and one of his greatest gifts to us, this freedom from the law of sin and death and the fact that he set us free from being slaves. What? Slaves? You might ask, slaves to what? Well, slaves to thinking that we have to constantly atone for our sins, or put another way, constantly working our way to get to heaven. Slaves to fearing we are doomed to hell if we don't do something to save ourselves. Slaves to pursuing sin. Slaves to worldly passions and lusts. Slaves to corrupt religious practices. In short, this morning we will consider how God looks on you and me and lovingly says, I have set you free, I have opened the doors of the jail that you're in, and I will never close them. You never have to, and by never means for eternity, you never have to think you can work your way to be good enough to be saved. In fact, I don't accept you if that's how you think. I only accept you when you walk out of that jail and accept my gift without price. This is what we will concentrate on today. God himself brought us from death to life. God equals freedom. Let me repeat, God equals freedom. And we will see how scripture affirms this over and over and repeats this truth in many ways. And we will know how this affects our lives every day that he gives us breath. Again, God equals freedom. Let's pray. 
Dear Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and worship you and hear your word preached. We thank you for your word. By your word, we know you, and you give us freedom and peace that is far beyond human understanding. We thank you, and I, I pray that each one of us would uh, be open to your leading this morning. You would guide my lips so that I speak your words, not my own, and that our ears and our minds and our hearts would be open to receive it. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, most of you have read in the Bible about freedom in Christ. He has forgiven our sins. You have accepted that. You've experienced that. In fact, you know that personally. So you might be wondering, why am I bringing this up, if this is something that, that we all know? Because it is so easy to forget. As we deal with our daily lives and our daily tasks, we need to have this truth implanted deep within us, and we need to bring it to the surface regularly. God loves us so much that he gives us freedom, and he gives us many kinds of freedom. For example, we don't have to do the Old Testament ceremonial, Old Testament ceremonial laws. We're freed from those burdens. We don't have to earn our way to heaven, freed from this impossible task. We don't have to pursue worldly fame, worldly riches, worldly status for fulfillment. We are freed to find joy, fulfillment, contentment, and excitement wherever God has us. We don't have to worry about whether we're good enough to earn God's favor, freed from wondering anymore because it's an easy answer. We're not. We are not. We need constant reminders of the freedom we have in Christ, especially now, especially as, as we are all trying to adapt to life with many things that are just out of our control, and we're seeing that more and more every day. So I don't want us to go a day without thinking about the grand freedom that we have that God gives us as Christians. Now this is not what the world thinks of Christianity, nor probably most of your Christian, non-Christian friends or non-Christian family members. The common belief is that being a Christian imposes a whole lot of rules, a bunch of don't-dos, mostly. Don't do this and don't do that. They think that being a Christian places strict shackles on you, keeps you from doing all the things that you really would want to do, but they don't know the half of it. Receiving Christ means being free to live freely. Remember, God equals freedom. Therefore, worldly expectations do not bog us down. We don't live for what the world says. We are now free to say no to those things that lead us away from God and His peace. And we are now free to say yes to all that leads to peace and to godliness. John Calvin wrote that unless this freedom be comprehended, neither Christ nor gospel truth nor inner peace of soul can right, be rightly known. So let's comprehend this freedom. 
Our text today will be varied, but we're going to start in Romans 8.2. should be up on the board. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Well, law in this instance means principle. Often in scripture, law refers to the Mosaic law, the law handed down from God to Moses for the Israelites. We think primarily of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Mosaic law was and is a wonderful thing. These laws define for the Israelites a relationship with the holy God of the universe. This holy God of the universe put them into writing for them. In all, there are 613 of these commands, all to show this special people, these people who God had chosen as his own, how he wants them to live. And the law is typically categorized in three ways. There's the, there are the moral laws, such as the Ten Commandments, the civil laws, such as what constitutes wrongdoing and how to administer justice, and then the ceremonial laws, which governed how to be right with God personally and spiritually. And today we are not under this code, so let's understand that. But, but many of its righteous principles, these eternal laws of God, have been carried over and are part of the law of the spirit of, the, of life in Christ. Now the part of the law that is the biggest trap is the ceremonial law. These are the laws that govern the Israel, Israelites' rituals and their sacrifices meant to deal with their sin. And the problem was that the religious leaders of the time added all kinds of additional regulations to them. And these became very burdensome, overly burdensome. In fact, Rob has dealt with, with a couple of these in, in recent weeks in his messages, primarily surrounding fasting and the Sabbath day. And Jewish leaders had misused the law in both of these areas. And so while it is true that the law is good and holy and even perfect because it is God's character, it's his very nature, it cannot produce eternal life. It only exposes man's sin. Sin leads to spiritual death, which is why Paul in this verse calls it the law of sin and death. Paul writes in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. He was actually quoting from the book of Deuteronomy in this passage. So it is impossible to keep, keep the law perfectly for one's entire life. And even one sin makes us imperfect and unable to be in God's perfect heaven. Hebrews 10.1 says it, meaning the law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Evangelist Ray Comfort, I like this guy. He cleverly puts this truth on display when he asks people if they think they're good enough to go to heaven. Most of them say, they say yes. And so Ray continues. And he says, well, let's see how you do according to God's standard. And then he measures them against 
God's moral law as stated in the Ten Commandments. By the time they've admitted to lying at least once in their lives, stealing something at any point in their lives, being angry with a, with a brother or a person and lusting after another, these last two things in the Bible or, or in the New Testament are akin to murder and adultery in God's eyes. By the time he's established that, they begin to understand their desperate position before a holy God. So by your own admission, Ray says, you're a lie, lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. And we've only covered four of the Ten Commandments. It looks like you're in trouble when you stand before a holy and righteous God on Judgment Day. Well, that's pretty sobering. Unfortunately, Ray doesn't stop there. He then shares the freedom from the law that Christ offers. This is the gospel, the law of the spirit of life. God's son did everything that we couldn't do by living a perfect life. He even died because of sin, because of our sin. He took the punishment for our sin instead of us taking that punishment. Then he came back to life and he promises to give us this same life for eternity if we believe in him. What a wonderful promise. But what's missing in there? No ceremony? No ritual? No lighting certain candles? Or saying specific prayers? Or bowing just right? Or repeating the same words five times a day, pointed just at the right direction? Nope. Just pure freedom to let go of that and receive Christ's gift. It's for Jews and non-Jews alike. Christ's freedom is available for all people. In fact, Jewish, Jesus says to Jewish believers in John 8.32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And a few verses later, he adds, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is not worldly freedom, my brothers and sisters. This is true freedom. This is the most true freedom you can experience on earth. And there is only one way to know this freedom, by receiving Christ's gift of forgiveness and new life. It's already accomplished. It's complete. Now, not one iota of man's effort does any good. So when the Son of God calls you to Him, He immediately sets you free from the demands of the law of sin and death. He sets you free from the guilt and shame of sin. And it's instantaneous. Nothing else is required. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I love how Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century evangelist, I love how he put it in one of his sermons. He says, there is no payment for gospel liberty. You could not bring sufficient to pay for salvation if God were willing to sell it. 
It cost the Savior his life. You cannot have any price to match with that wondrous redemption money. That which only Christ could buy and buy with his blood, you certainly cannot purchase with any merits of your own, even if God allowed you to do so. Come then and take this liberty. It is unconditional, that is, without payment. These are radical ideas for those who are bent on religious legalism. The, that is the tendency to try to do enough or do all the right, right religious things according to man-made rules. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians to counter this false teaching in the new church that he had established. After Paul had departed, some teachers had convinced the Galatians that they needed to be circumcised as the Jews were to follow uh, and, and conform to the Old Testament customs, the Old Covenant law. Well, this was a denial of the heart of the gospel, which is justification by faith in Christ alone, not by obedience to the law. So by going back to the Jewish ceremonial law, Paul says the people are slaves to it. He likens them to children being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The principles were encapsulated in both the Jewish rituals and also the pagan gods that some of the Galatians were following still. Paul just dismisses them as weak and worthless principles. <laughs> then Paul points them to the better way which is Christ. Galatians 4.9 Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And then he adds in Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke in this case was thinking that obedience to the law would make one righteous. It was a tremendous, tremendous burden. Well, I would say don't think that this type of thinking is gone and done with or perished because of the old, in Old Testament times. It's alive and well with us today. And some of those ways are a little more subtle than others. For example, the prosperity gospel sounds really good. It really tickles the ears. God wants you to be happy and wealthy and successful and rich and blessed. If you just give enough money, you will earn God's blessing. I would say there's actually a kernel of truth in there. It is good. Giving is good. But not to earn God's favor. God does want you to be blessed. But it may not be with material wealth, may not be with status. And God does want to bless you, but it is by His grace, not because of your own merit. Also, any church that teaches forgiveness found in Christ, but also must be granted through a human mediator, they have added a burden that is outside of God's word. And then there's this teaching that's growing in popularity. It's that a church's main priority is to feed and clothe the poor and champion so-called 
social justice causes. While these may or may not be noble exercises, they are not the main purpose of a Christian church. Preaching Christ and Him crucified, the wonders of God redeeming us from our sin, this is our priority. This is our primary purpose. Then the freedom that flows from this, this is a message that the world best message the world will ever know. The freedom we get ought to move us to do good works in our communities, but doing good works will not earn salvation. We know that. Nor will it make us more righteous in God's sight. We know that. When the works become the priority, we become slaves to the works. The very thing that Jesus and Paul and the whole Bible teach against. This idea of working to earn God's favor is as old as the Bible itself, of course, as is the knowledge that it would be a, a terrible burden. Come to the passage, which I think we touched on last week as well, in Matthew 11, 28. In light of this burden, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are burdened by the requirements of the law and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can't you just, ah, oh, can't you just feel that and exhale and feel that rest and know that rest? The oppressive religious legalism imposed by the scribes and the Pharisees was a crushing heavy yoke to bear and in contrast, what does Jesus say about his yoke? It is easy, and his burden is light. Because it, it doesn't require religious duty, but simple trust and faith in his finished work. Remember, God equals freedom. So does freedom in Christ smooth the bumpy road in life? Not necessarily, but it brings a peace that is unknown in the world. As we know, there will be bumps in life, as sure as there are cracks in the pavement and, and potholes. You will encounter dips and detours. You will encounter hardship. Everyone does. In fact, becoming a Christian guarantees that our faith in Christ brings a level of hardship. Jesus says so in John 16, where he says, in this world you will have tribulation. It's a guarantee. If Christ says it, it will. And we are surrounded by all kinds of tribulation, great and small, and it's enough to make anybody anxious. However, in John 16, he quickly adds the elixir, the antidote, the vaccine of all vaccines. I love alliteration, so I'm calling it the Christian cure-all. The faithful fix, the disciple drug. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but here comes the part of the promise that unlocks us from the darkness. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Even better, Jesus precedes this with the words, in me you may have peace. Wonderful. His fellowship with Christ brings peace. And in this text, 
The Hebrew word for that is shalom. The editors of the ESV Study Bible note that shalom does not mean the absence of conflict or turmoil. It's also the notion of positive blessing, especially in terms of a right, right relationship with God and the result that all is well in one's life. So when this sh shalom, when is this shalom most clearly brought about? During times of persecution and tribulation. The night that I received Christ, 30, when I was 33, I was alone in my hotel room in Phoenix, and a big light didn't shine down on me. I didn't have a burning sensation or have something, a, a massive weight lifted off my shoulders. There weren't angels singing suddenly. But the one thing I had was immediate peace. He brought me peace just like that. It was unmistakable. I immediately knew why I was here. I knew who I, who I am to be and why God, me, God brought me in here. I knew my purpose in life. And isn't, aren't those the questions that we all want to ask? Those are all the, the questions that we all want to ask or we want the answers to. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What am I doing here? Why did God make me? Well, let me tell you, when you discover the answer to the biggest questions facing us in life, and here's a spoiler alert, the answer is to glorify God. The result is tremendous, unspeakable freedom and peace. I didn't know the word at the time, but it was pure shalom. All is well. Well, you might say, well, preacher, easy for you to say. How can you say that all is well when there is trouble everywhere? Christians have troubles. In fact, it seems like more troubles than anybody else, than non-believers, in fact. How can you tell me that being a Christian means all is well? How can you stand there and tell me this when I've got children to feed and I've got no money to feed them with? When I've lost my job and I have no prospects for anything? When our country is on the brink of, of, of radical division and disunity? Or when I or a loved one received a medical diagnosis that's very dire. When there's conflict all around us. Well, the reason I can preach this and the reason that Scripture states it over and over and over is because this peace is not due to external circumstances. It is due to the change of heart that takes place inside of each person when God pulls you to Him. And when God lavishes upon you the most wondrous gift, you'll never deserve the gift of himself. And this gift is for the rest of your earthly life and for eternity beyond. He changes you from the inside out. I think we've all experienced this. And so therefore, no longer are we chained by the here and the now. No longer do, you, do we only see the next five minutes or or the next five days, or the, even the next five years in front of you. Everything now is in the context of forever. 
Well, this brings the incredible freedom we enjoy. Peace, the peace that passes all understanding, begats freedom, and freedom begats peace. There's a, there's a little-known political party in, in America called the, called the Peace and Freedom Party. And I don't know what they stand for, but they got the name right. Peace and freedom, they go together. In Christ, they go together, not in the world. In the world, peace and freedom is obtained only by force, only by the armed defense of the nation. There is never pure freedom and never really lasting peace. But in Christ, peace and freedom are obtained by giving up our desires, by letting go of our own will, by turning over to God what we think is best. Giving up, letting go, turning over to someone else. It's radical. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. The price was paid by God. It was his armed defense of his own plan, shedding his own blood that brought us life and peace. And with life and peace comes freedom. John Piper, pastor that we quote often here, he often uses the illustration of skydiving to answer the question, what is Christian freedom? <clears throat> it's a good illustration, so I'm going to borrow it today. He says freedom has four elements, opportunity, ability, desire, and no regrets. No regrets. So in the context of skydiving, he says, suppose you get to the airport, no obstacle, because you have the freedom of opportunity. You have all the know-how necessary because you have the freedom of ability. You look out the door at the tiny cluster of silos and barns and farmhouses down below a few miles down and you can't wait to jump because you have all the freedom of desire. This is what you want to do. So you jump and as you free fall, enjoying every second of it, Unknown to you, your parachute is defective. Hmm, it's not going to open no matter what you do. Are you free? You feel free, but you don't know what is about to happen. This is where most people live, thinking they are fully free. Well, are you free? No, you're dead. In 30 seconds, you will be dead and with regrets. In order to be fully free, you have to have a parachute in good working order. You need to be saved. You need to have Jesus Christ because you are cruising toward destruction. No matter how free you feel in this world without a savior. It's a good illustration. Piper goes on a little bit longer. He says, when Jesus makes us free, he makes us free at every single level. He has given us the freedom of opportunity. He died for us. The freedom of ability. He gave us the gift of faith. The freedom of desire. He put a new heart in us and wrote his law on it, causing us to have new desires and new loves. And then he gives us the freedom of having no regrets for years on end. We will jump out of this airplane forever with Jesus at our side and the parachute will always open. 
we will land in green pastures. Remember, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And only believers in Jesus have this kind of freedom. So how are we to live in light of this splendid, magnificent freedom? How are we to live? Two things, which you no doubt will recognize as those which God identifies as the two most important commands. One is to serve God. 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And therefore, as James writes, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We are free to live as servants. Might sound like a bit of an oxymoron, but it makes sense. God saves us miraculously in spite of our lifetime of sin against him. And this changes our desires. Now he gives us desires that are motivated by loving him first. The result of this love and living this way is doing how he wants us to live. We don't pursue sin anymore. In fact, we despise it. We fight against it. We also don't have to wonder if we have the right dove or the right goat or the right bull or the right grain to offer for our sins. We simply know that whatever we do, we are to do it all to the glory of God. And if we occasionally fall, which we will, we have his full assurance of forgiveness. The second Second thing we want to apply is to serve others. So serve God and serve others. Yes, these are the greatest commandment and the second greatest. Galatians 5.14, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then we come to this, a famous passage of Scripture. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So don't just hear this morning. Do. Act. This is the only proper response to the Word of God, to be a doer and not just a hearer. To take the wonder of His beautiful Word, this perfect roadmap for us, and to live it out. Be active in faith, not passive. Now this doesn't mean to just pound people over the head with every single memory verse that you've ever memorized and proclaiming judgment on them for not doing the same. It means to be in a constant state of wanting to love him and to love other people. However that looks, day to day, hour to hour, as God gives opportunity. So this is where freedom and peace intersect 
straight from the hand of God. Remember, God equals freedom. With every head bowed, and as the, I call up the worship team and prepare for Rob to come up to do a pastor's prayer, let us consider how gracious God is for freeing us from the stain of sin and death, freeing us from the chains of the sacrificial ceremonial law, freeing us from the pain of an uncertain eternity. Dear Father, your grace is so lavish it is beyond our ability to comprehend. Your mercy is unfathomable, for it is new every morning. May we rest in the overflowing liberty you have bestowed upon us, and may we let it be known openly that you are the only source of true freedom this world will ever know. This we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.